free. And uh, we'll just read one verse here. Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And then first Samuel fifteen. And verse 29. And also, the glory of Israel, speaking of God, will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And then Hosea chapter 11. And uh, verse 9, Hosea chapter 11 and verse 9, I will not execute my fierce anger, I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Well, you might have guessed the subject of this message, and the title is God is Not a Man. Now, the Bible brings out the great contrast between God and man in many places. In these Three scriptures, we see that contrast stated simply. God is not a man. Now, if you're thinking about that subject, God is not a man, and if you're a Christian, there's probably a thought that has already crossed your mind. And that is, God did become a man in the incarnation of the Son of God. The Word became flesh. Now, as Christians, we believe that God is 100% God, or that Christ is 100% God and 100% man. That's the dual nature of Christ, dual nature in one person. Uh, deity was veiled but not voided in Christ. It was veiled in his manhood, but it was not voided, the deity of, of Christ. God manifested in the flesh. Incredible. In fact, that's part of the great mystery of godliness. 
God manifested in the flesh. And it is a mystery. It's a great mystery. And uh, we should expect that there would be mystery in something like this. Uh, where we're dealing with God and God becoming man. Uh, we should, ever, should never, you know, be afraid to, it, to admit there's a lot of mystery involved in what we believe. The fact is that there's enough mystery related to a simple grain of sand that it would keep the brightest minds baffled till the end of time, just in a grain of sand. So it shouldn't surprise us then that uh, there's great mystery uh, involved when we're dealing with God and man and God becoming man. Well, that was a little aside. Uh, I want to get back to these three verses that we've looked at. Here we see God and man contrasted in three specific areas. First of all, God does not lie. Men do. Secondly, God does not change. Men do. Thirdly, God is not unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful, but men constantly tend toward those ungodly attributes or attitudes. So, the contrast between God and man. So what I want to do is briefly consider these characteristics of God's nature as contrasted with man's fallen nature. First of all, then, God does not lie, and he cannot lie. We're told in Titus 1, verse 2, that God cannot lie. We're told in Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. He never misrepresents anything. He never twists the truth about anything. He's not deceptive. We can have complete confidence in everything that God says. He's always true and he's always faithful, first of all to himself and to what he said. By contrast, sometimes we lie to ourselves and we lie to others. God always speaks truthfully and speaks the truth. Every word of God is true. In fact, his words are truth itself. They are the final standard and definition of truth. Jesus said it this way. He said this uh, concerning his father. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. <coughs> What conforms to his word is true. What does not is not true. How different is man? Often people cannot be taken at their word. You can take God at his word, but you can't always take people at their word. Uh, almost, we're told in the scriptures, from the womb the wicked go astray speaking lies. We see unfaithfulness in business. That's a big area right now. In government, 
That's a big area right now, too. <laughs> in marriage, that's pretty big. In friendships, and sadly, in religion. Unfaithfulness, untruthfulness. But the scriptures say, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. So the point is, God is not a man that he should lie. It's the contrast. He's bringing out God. God says, I am not a man. And specifically, in that area, he says that. I don't lie. Well, let's go on to the next one. God does not change. And in particular, it says, uh, he does not change his mind. Actually, the fact that God does not change is is really one with his faithfulness, his truthfulness, what we just looked at. If he is unchanging, it follows that he could not be unfaithful, since that would require him to change. See, they go together, his unchangeableness and his faithfulness. Um, God is at once faithful and unchanging. Now, I want to say a little bit about this thing of God being unchanging. The, the fancy word for that, if you read books on God's attributes, is his immutability. And uh, I want to just share some thoughts related to that because um, it's a good thing to get a hold of. God is perpetually the same. Now, that does not mean that he's static or inactive. You shouldn't think of it that way. But he does not change in his being or his attributes or his determinations. That's why God is compared to a rock. You may, I mean, we, talk, we use that phrase a lot and we hardly think what we're talking about. But a, a, a lot of what that means is there's total stability here. He, this is, there's going to be no fluctuation this is something uh, unchanging. Let's, let's just look at one uh, passage on that in uh, Deuteronomy 32. I like this uh, section because it really emphasizes that God is a rock. Deuteronomy 32, this is a song of Moses. <clears throat> we won't read all of it. But uh, let me just point out to you here, in verse 4, of course, he's praising God, and he calls him the rock. 32.4, the rock. He said, with an exclamation point, he's, he's the rock. And then, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness. There you see the immutability and faithfulness together. Without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And he's always that way, you see. He's the rock. He can be, we can be certain about these things because he's the rock. He's immutable. Now, um, Moses doesn't stop there uh, as far as using this phrase. Look at verse 15. Uh, but Jerusalem grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his 
salvation. And then if you go down to 18, you neglected the rock who begot you. And then verse 30, how could one chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? So Moses is determined for you to get a hold of this fact that God is the rock. He's immutable, unchanging. Because God has no beginning or end, he can know no change. He is everlastingly the Father of lights with whom is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation, you see, no fluctuation here. He is always uh, the rock. He's always the Father of lights with whom is no variation or shadow of turning. What God is, he always is. To say that God is immutable is to say that he never differs from himself. The idea of some kind of a growing or developing or evolving God is totally foreign to the scriptures. I mean, there's some uh, way off track theologians that come up with some ideas like that, but they didn't get it out of the Bible. Uh, His nature and being are infinite, and so he's subject to no mutations. He doesn't grow or improve. All that he is today, he has ever been or ever will be. He just said, God says it this way, I am the Lord, I change not. You can't get it much clearer than that. I'm God, I don't change. No fluctuation. He can't change for the better, for he is already perfect, and being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. A lot of these thoughts are from Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. So... Um, to say that God is subject to no process of development in himself does not mean that he can be, there can be no apparent change or development in relation to his creatures. Now, I wanna, let me just read that again. To say that God is subject to no process of development in himself does not mean that there can be no apparent change or development in his relations to his creatures. I want to give an example of this. God declared his intention to destroy Nineveh. He just said it as plain as you could, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You know what they did? They repented. You know what God did? He didn't destroy them. Now, how do you fit that in? Did God change his mind? Well, he's the Lord. He changes not. Let's look at a a scripture that I think helps explain this. Jeremiah 18.5. Jeremiah 18.5 Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, 
Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. In other words, you're immutable. That's what clay is, right? It's very, that's why they make pottery out of it. It's mutable. It's changeable. <clears throat> At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. <clears throat> Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plan it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. So now then speak to the, son, to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Just Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back, each of you, from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. Now, what's, what's God saying here? He's saying, if I say that I'll destroy a place and they repent, I won't destroy it. And if I say I'll build up a place and they turn to evil, I'll tear it down. That's his nature. You see, that's, that's his immutable way of dealing with this kind of situation. Let me, uh, let me read here the way Sam, uh, Sam Storms explains this. <clears throat> that God declared his intention to destroy Nineveh only to withhold his hand when they repented is thus no threat to the doctrine of immutability. On the contrary... <clears throat> Had God destroyed Nineveh, notwithstanding its repentance, he would have shown himself mutable. You see what he's saying? If he would have, after Nineveh repented, if he would have gone ahead and destroyed it, that would have showed that God is mutable. That he doesn't do what he says, because he says if a, if a, a, a nation or a city repents, I won't destroy it. If God had treated the Ninevites after their repentance as he had threatened to treat them before their repentance, this would have proved him to be mutable. It would have showed him to be at one time displeased with impenitence and at another time with penitence. So he's not going to change in this, you see. He's always pleased yes. with the repentant. And he's always displeased with the unrepentant. That's just the way God is, and he's not going to change in that. <clears throat> uh, it is a principle of God's immutability, his immutable being, that he punishes the wicked and the unrepentant, but blesses and forgives the righteous and repentant. If God were to reveal himself as such, only to punish the repentant and bless the unrepentant, it would constitute a real change and thus destroy immutability. But he doesn't do that, you see. So, this uh, writer then says, it is one thing for God to will a change in created things external to himself. <clears throat> 
It is another thing for him to change in his own nature and character, and he does not do that. He does not change in his nature or character. It is his nature to always do right. It's his nature. He is never going to change in that. If you repent, he'll forgive you. He will not change in that. He never will change. He's immutable in that. If you don't repent, then there are terrible consequences and God's not going to change in that. God never changes. He is never evil or unfair or unjust. But you see, God is not a man. Men are not like this. We're often fickle and capricious and moody. Man often changes his mind for the worse. In this world where men forget about us and change their attitude toward us overnight sometimes or even quicker, they revise their opinions toward us for the slightest cause, is it not a source of great praise and wonder and appreciation to God that to know that he doesn't change? The one with whom we have to do changes not. He's not moody. He's not fickle. He's not capricious. That his attitude towards us now is the same as it was in eternity past and will be in eternity to come. This should bring peace, great peace to our hearts. God never differs from himself. When we come to him, anytime we come to him, we need not wonder whether we shall find him in a receptive mood. He's always receptive to misery and need and repentance. Tozer said, he does not keep office hours. Now, you can come in and see me at this time and this time. Neither does he change his mind about anything. Today, this moment, he feels towards his creatures, towards babies, towards the sick, the fallen, the sinful, exactly as he did when he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for mankind. There should be great comfort to us here. Human Human nature cannot be relied upon, but God's nature can be. However unstable I might be, and I'm pretty unstable, uh, God's not that way. However fickle others might be towards you, God does not change. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing one day and another tomorrow, if he were controlled by caprice, Who could confide in him? How could you trust in him? But he's ever the same. His purpose is fixed. 
His will is stable. His word is sure. He is a rock. He is the rock on which we can fix our feet in a world of flux where we often fluctuate. God doesn't. The permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. So the point again then is that God is not a man that he should change or change his mind. Now, I had planned to deal with Hosea chapter 11, verse 9. But you know what I did? I changed. (laughs) I got behind in my preparation, so I changed my mind. God didn't change his. That was already predetermined, planned before the foundation of the world, but I did change mine. So we'll look at Hosea 11.9 in the future, Lord willing. But I do want to say one last thing here, and that is we should be thankful that we can yet change. Because if we couldn't, we'd all end up in hell. But you see, there is an unchanging one who can change our hearts. There is one whose nature never changes, who can change our very nature. He can make us into new creatures, new creations in Christ. And even after we become Christians, he changes us from glory to glory. So, you know, we need to be thankful that we can change. But it does take an unchanging God to change us in the way that we need to be changed so that we can live for him. Let's just... uh, Let's just turn to Hosea chapter 11, verse 9, to close with, to get you thinking about this aspect of God not being a man. I will not execute my fierce anger, For I am God and not man. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. I just want you to think about that verse, um, and then we'll talk about it, Lord willing. Uh, the next time we get together here. Let's pray.